0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Sports Rehab Lab. We want our listeners to know this podcast is for general information purposes only. The views and opinions expressed on the podcast are our own and do not represent those of our respective employers, affiliated institutions, or organizations. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on the episode description of this podcast and on our website. We'd like to let all of our listeners know that the Hospital for Special Surgery and the Brooklyn Nets are introducing a new lower extremity professional sports fellowship that will begin in April of 2024. This one-year fellowship is open to a dual-accredited PTATC, where they'll learn from the very best sports medicine staff at the hospital, along with working an entire season with the G League affiliate of the Brooklyn Nets, the Long Island Nets, as part of their rehab and performance staff. If you have a passion for basketball and are interested to get your foot in the door in professional sports, then this is definitely the fellowship for you. Applications are now being accepted and the deadline is February 15th. For more information, DM us on our Instagram page at sports Rehab Lab. On today's episode, we're going to talk about loading principles in rehab in today's day and age. When and how aggressive should we be when loading tissue after surgery? Are we actually loading enough during rehabilitation? And when is the proper time and place to progress to speed and velocity-based programs after surgery? Welcome to Season 2. Let's go. Welcome to the Sports Rehab Lab Podcast, where you'll hear real talk from real clinicians who treat real sports patients. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Rehab Lab. Pat's having issues already with his with his mic. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Season two, we made it through season one. Uh, glad to have everyone back. Myself, Snape Patel, Terrence Scroy, Pat Vignona, Billy Maroni, Robbie Andrews, and Jamie Osmack. I just need to let everybody know it's like four o'clock in the morning, and we're we're recording this podcast because this is the only time that all of us had time, and you know, if you hear a sounding harrowed, that's because it's four o'clock in the morning. So uh, listen, we wanted to start this season with kind of a hot topic, but uh, not like a controversial topic. Uh, so one that we've heard about a lot in the last few years, uh, I think has been something that we've discussed a lot in the clinic on and off. And that's loading of tissue after, some kind of lower extremity or upper extremity surgery. Uh, I think this is something we talk about in the clinic because we just see a lot of post-op upper and lower extremity uh, patients. Uh, But I think a lot of people that are listening think about this topic as well because they just don't know what to do or, you know, how to do it. I think we mentioned before that uh, as a profession, we tend to underload a lot of people in rehab uh, and, you know, the, the phase of things that tend to make people like overload themselves in, like, the performance phase with people like Jamie when, when they come in. But I feel this is a big aspect of people just aren't unsure. Or they're just unsure when to start loading or healing tissue, or, you know, more importantly, how to start loading at all. So I think I'll, I'll just start it off with uh, Billy and, you know, just very simply, just tell the audience what happens to tissue or tending, healing tissue and tendon when we don't load people.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we can go at this from a lot of angles, but different tissues respond differently to unloading. Uh, we, we think about cartilage. I mean, we know it's cartilage needs load, whether it's compression or shear or cyclic loading just to kind of get its nutrition. So loss of loading or, or withholding loading from, from cartilage tissue, we, we lose some of the water content and it, uh, loses some of its kind of resiliency over a period of time. So I think that's why we've shifted some of our protocols and started to load cartilage earlier if possible. Um, Tendon, muscle, I mean muscle, you lose muscle, atrophy, it kind of happens quick. Tendon, we know, uh, we all kind of looked at Keith Barr's article on this and see some of the mechanical properties of tendon and tendon has different properties. So it's, it's different at the bone interface where it's a little naturally stiffer, but at the muscle interface, it's a little more viscoelastic and absorbent. And we know unloading of tendon on that side, it actually stiffens up a little bit, which we think is problematic because it's supposed to be kind of variable properties, so stiffer at the bone, more pliable and more mobile at the, um, the muscle interface so when it stiffens and maybe that he suggests potentially leads to some of the more uh, muscle injuries that come because it gets too stiff on the other side of the tendon we know bone unloading a bone is not a good thing because that's the, the equation of bone deposition, bone breakdown so it really I mean you look at all the tissues in the body and we know it it's bone is the or sorry, loading is the stimulus that kind of keeps things going. So you want to have the right amount, not too little, not too much. Unloading definitely shifts you to the, the too little side of loading for a lot of things. And we know in post op rehab sometimes there's certain things that just need healing, but as soon as possible, the right appropriate amount of loading seems to be beneficial. Um and it doesn't have to be a lot, just getting some sort of load through tissues is is helpful early on.
2: Say for ligaments, Billy. I mean, we see a lot of ligament <coughs> yeah. repairs also either elbow or knee and, you know, same thing. I mean, collagen degradation, uh, inferior quality collagen synthesis. Um, so yeah, I mean, to your point, if you stop putting stress through tissue, it's going to start to disappear, whether it's muscle starts to atrophy or collagen starts to weaken. Um, and I mean, this can be applied to both upper and lower. We'll get into it. So I guess first for like lower extremity, After ACLs, like, what are you concerned about loading, or what do you think people don't load enough? And then, what do you guys do when you're when you're senior ACLs? You're loading them early. What what are you doing to load them, Pat? I think it you have to.
1: Is that just looks for me? Like <laughs>
3: no, no. Looks like
0: Pat froze on us, like <laughs> froze. He yeah. right had on, a thought. Right on cue. <laughs> yeah. I think he had a good right, thought, Bill. and
2: then it just, just didn't kind so, of go through. So, Billy, Billy, how are you loading the ACL? Because Pat's stuck in <laughs> thought yeah.
1: here. Yeah, so, I mean, in an isolated ACL, remember, there's no, I mean, yes, the ACL is protected, but weight-bearing, especially with appropriate <clears throat> quad control, is not going to abnormally load the ACL. Um, so we, we tend to go maybe give them a day or two to settle down, but then we're loading them weight-bearing as tolerated. Pat, you want to jump back in? <laughs> we lost you for a sec, For um, but, but we're loading them right away. Um, I mean, motion—no restrictions on motion. So we're, we're trying to introduce range of motion load, and, and then just weight-bearing load as soon as possible. But then we want appropriate quad contraction and quad strength to carry them through that loading, so that the right load is—or sorry, the right tissue is getting the load rather than you're just kind of hanging on your your inert structures there.
2: Then how about like if you're taking a patellar tendon yeah. Um, right. So, I mean, I know you guys talk about teller tendonitis for people complain of anterior knee pain. Uh so what are you doing with with load around uh, around the graft area?
1: Well, I mean, Robbie said this a couple of times, right, in our podcast, where like, I mean, if you were to have a, a surgically induced tendonopathy, you're gonna load it right away, right? Because the best treatment for a tendon is some sort of load.
2: So when you get to load, like this my my other question here is you know, I do a lot of isometrics and you know, we all do a lot of isometrics in our clinic and I never know exactly how long to hold isometrics. So when you're doing load, uh, or when you're doing like isometric contractions with your ACLs to get stress through your patellar tendon, uh, or your quad tendon, how long are you holding for? What's the optimal holding time? So you want
1: to go or, Um, I mean, I think it depends on your, your goal of the, the isometric, Um, If you're trying to get stress through the tendon, there's some suggestion that you want to go at least 30 seconds or so to get relaxation, stress relaxation in parts of the tendon to kind of load the pathologic tendon. Now, I mean, we use isometrics throughout the course of rehab, and some of them are not just focused on tendon health, right? We're trying to improve contractile abilities or rate of force development, and and those are probably going to be shorter hold isometrics, so somewhere 10 seconds or so with a ramp up period, a ramp down period, and those are a different intent. So those are probably more neuromuscular focus where... Some of our long hold isos um, are going to be more tendon health and trying to increase some of the mechanical properties of the tendon. Yeah, what kind I of tension are
4: they putting through for the 30 seconds, though? Like, what, what do you cue for how hard they're pushing?
1: I mean, it should be a key again, another Keith the Barton. They talk about it. it should be a lot of load through it. So, yeah, typically over 80% of, of max kind of strength on it. But sometimes there's argument for super maximal isos or, or yielding isos where if you're going to fail, you're going to fail eccentrically. So, It all depends on kind of the intent of um, mode of contraction and what kind of stress you're trying to put through it. But you can load it up usually a lot heavier than we do with
2: any of our isos. Yeah, I think the stress shielding principle is very important. It's something I don't think I've paid attention to enough. Um, You know, and I guess that theory that obviously Keith Barr talks about a lot is that if you only do an isometric contraction for 10 seconds – the uninjured or I'm sorry, the injured portion of the tendon might not be even seeing that load because the healthy portion of the tendon's taking it, mm-hmm. right? So when you get to 20, 30 seconds, at that point, you're starting to fatigue the healthy fibers so that that stress can now make its way to the injured portion of the tendon and those injured fibers that need to see the load, right? So that stress shield, um, and that's why I'm, I'm pretty sure that's why Keith talks about doing them for those 20, 30 seconds also is that. Now we need to get stress to the injured portion of the tendon, and it doesn't see that in the first 10, 15 seconds of the isometric contraction. So if you're doing a heel raise for Achilles tendonitis, if you're doing like soleus you know isometrics for Achilles tendonitis, and you're only holding for five to 10 seconds, you might not be even touching or targeting that that injured portion of the tendon, which I think is an important concept. I think Keith's got a lot of really good stuff um, that he's done.
1: The other thing I, I found interesting that he talks about, Terrence, too, is the the frequency at which you do it, too. Like a lot of this bone and tendon I mean, kind of turns over on a six-hour cycle, per se. I mean, I know a lot of this work is done in a lab setting, but for for tendon health or if you're trying to do exercises to prepare for other exercises, just kind of maintenance stuff, I mean, we can probably do it more frequently than we, we do traditional loading exercises. So some of this low-load hold stuff, if, if you're really trying to calm something down, Doing it periodically throughout the day, every six hours or so in in the right setting can kind of help load the tissue even more appropriately too.
2: Then I was talking about Pat and stay maybe Billy or not, not Billy because they're in our clinic anymore, I guess Robbie. Whoops. Um, Yeah. So also, so he talks about the six hour, the six hour sort of relaxation time, but also the amount of time you need to actually put tension through the tendon or the, or the ligament. So you have, he talks about like six to 10 minutes for Mm. contraction time. And then after 10 minutes, there's no additional benefit to doing those isometrics or those that loading um, progression. So six to 10 minutes of loading and then six hours off. So, you know, when we talk to our patients about how often to do it. Yeah, I agree. I think three times a day if you can separate it by six hours, but they really only need about 10 minutes of that loading uh, to the particular tendon, uh, which is important too. You know, because it's something they don't need 800 exercise. If you have someone with Achilles tendinitis or patellar tendonitis, you show them a couple of very simple isometric exercises. This is what I want you to do. Get a timer for this amount of time with this amount of force and do it three times a day. And it doesn't take that long.
0: I mean, I, I personally don't think I, I load people enough. Like I think over the past few years, I, I started to load people more. But these concepts that we're talking about, the, you know, holding an isometric for 30 seconds, I, I definitely know that I don't do it that long, uh, which probably throws me in the hole at later stages. Uh, I I think what I usually would do with load is I'd look at the person and what sport they would play and kind of work backwards from there. Like, all right, I got to, I got to make sure that this basketball player can run full sprints down the court. How do I get from, how do I get to there uh, and try to load them up appropriately? I really think a big thing with, therapists nowadays and you know I I do it too sometimes but we skip steps like we haven't really loaded that tissue enough in order to get the strains that it needs and then we start something else so you really haven't I mean we see it all the time when we're testing people these these people just aren't strong you know you come in with a a 40 percent quad deficit and you're like all right yeah I've, I've started running and jumping you've just you've skipped a whole step like that tissue cannot take the load that that you're not you're not putting in it you know I, I my questions for like Pat or you know Robbie Robbie you see a lot you know not not as many knees but you see a lot as well but you know it, you get different people I'm sure you don't load everybody the same you know Pat I'm sure you load your professional soccer players different than you know uh, a high schooler so you know how how do you go about that like how do you know like how much load you should be putting on this people at what time?
3: <clears throat> I'll go. Hopefully, my <clears throat> mic doesn't sh- shut off again, um, dude. I literally can't hear myself. The uh, we can hear God, you. sound <clears throat> great, um, Go for it. Um, send you a COVID test. <sighs> it's also five o'clock in the morning. Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, <it's> really? <laughs> <hilarious>. <laughs> How do you load your people? Uh,
3: <laughs> no, yeah how do you know yeah. how do
0: you know when yeah, 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 I, load I, just, I, yeah.
3: I mean i load them I, I load everybody very similarly obviously you're gonna you gonna titrate that and not uh you know put a a 38 year old recreational skier as as through the same actual load but as far as like the exercises themselves i mean it's pretty consistent um and as far as like the the numbers i mean you guys have worked with me for a long time i've kind of always done a ton of isometrics especially in the the lower body and my holding is probably not enough either. So I do 20 second holds for 10 rounds. Um, should probably be either double that or double the,
4: the reps of it to get that the number that you guys are talking about. Um, I wonder but, though how much variability could be, you know, per program. Cause it seems like your people always recover pretty well. Knees feel great. I mean, I, right. If we're talking about patella tendon grafts that get yeah. flared up and they're in pain and you know, what's the Perfect protocol. I'm sure there's probably some variability to what that could actually be, or you know, or even like also, if you're doing, a, say, just long, slow eccentrics, right? Is it yeah, the same? I mean, Does I it, it all add it, up right? the same? I, I don't know because it seems like you have pretty good results. <laughs> I, th- <laughs> I think, you're not doing I think,
3: I think, I think all types of stress is good, not just isometric. I mean, it used to be all eccentrics for things, but I think concentric, isometric, oh, wow. eccentric, it's all good. But as far as like the the tendon health and the that load strain, obviously the isometric is better early on. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, I think it's just sa- safer for the p- patient earlier on, right? So you guys, so if you have a patellar tendon or a quad tendon repair, even just having them do active assisted knee flexion extension is loading the tissue, correct. right? So I think it depends on the particular time frame from surgery or I mean, obviously, if it's just a straight patellar tendonitis, you could go uh, much harder with them, <clears throat> but just having them go through active range of motion is loaded the tissue at that time. Then you move to some of your isometrics. And I think what matters more is the time that you're doing the load for, right? So plyos, yes, of course, they are going to load you, but not for as much time. So like some of those slow, long eccentrics, some of those slower concentrics with significant stress or the longer isometrics, I think that's what matters the most. And I think that's what Some of these studies are showing, but then of course you've got to move to more sports specific stress, but you might do an isometric session and then have layer that on top of like a plyo progression that I've seen you guys do. Well, I'm wondering,
5: I was just gonna say, I mean, we have to pay attention to their, obviously their response to it too. I mean, I I think sometimes, you know, obviously we're talking about loading these people a lot, you know, the next day, if they can't walk, right. If they're like in five out of 10 or eight out of 10 soreness, we probably overloaded them a little bit. I think we have to make sure and the patient knows well what's a normal response and what's not. You know, I think I, I try to keep everything. I want them to have, you know, three or four out of 10 soreness level the next day, you know, at max. I don't want them to, you know, not be able to walk or anything like that the next day. So, I think that's important as well as make sure they know what the right response to that
4: load is. Yeah. You, you have, so, you have to be ca- Goldilocks uh, situation.
3: You have to be careful where you do it in your session because if you do BFR early in your session, <clears throat> it's going to have that pain threshold elevation from there. So, it's going to give right. them a false sense of feeling better. So, they may be able right. to overload that tendon uh, and then be a little too sore the next day. So, if you're going to really do a proper tendon loading, um, I would do it pre, before you do BFR. So you get a real true feel for, for where they are and staying below, below that, you know, four out of 10 pain threshold.
2: <clears throat> so what is an appropriate think responsibility? If, to... someone, if someone comes oh, in, I was going to say,
0: like... I... go ahead. yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Go
2: ahead. Yeah. So where, where ahead, do Terrence. you want them to feel it? So if someone comes in and they're like, all right, I feel, you know, sharp pain around my tendon or they come in and they're like, Hey, my, my quad is really sore after yesterday. So what are you looking for, for a positive response?
1: Well, when you're doing like what Pat's saying, like a pain monitoring thing where you're going to come in, it's, it's not abnormal for them to feel it initially in the tendon. But as you start to load them a little bit, I mean, the goal is to start to feel it more in the muscle than just the tendon. Like if there's a low level pain in the tendon and it's there and it's, it's the same or getting better, that's usually a positive response, especially as you start to introduce load. Typically, like when you start to do some of these long holds, they'll feel less in the tendon, more in the muscle. And as that quad, I mean, just for a lower extremity example, starts to fire up more and more. You're going to shift and feel where you are shift to feel it more in the muscle than you do in the tendon too the only other thing i want to make, just a quick comment is like when we talk about loading a lot of this again we we started with talking about the keep bar and the tendon stuff but remember you're never loading anything in isolation so we could have tendon loading exercises or that's the intent of the exercise but you're loading the the joint the cartilage everything else as well right so it's when we talk about like yes this may be ideal for for tendon we're loading a number of things so when, even though pat's not holding for 20 seconds like like we said, he gets good results because he's loading everything else and building chronic volume and making sure when he's trying to load the knee, he's actually loading the knee, not the hip and the back and all these other things. So it's it's the total picture, but sometimes we shift the intent to more tendon-based or or just load the joint or just get strong. And, I mean, the focus can shift, but you're loading everything at the same time.
0: I think to wrap up this this lower extremity one, I think everyone should know it's it's okay to load. uh you know, you may mess up, you may, you may load it too much, but the next treatment session, you'll, you'll, you'll know what you did right and what you did wrong. So I think everyone should know that it's okay to load people, you know, early on in an ACL, like you don't have to wait till 14, 15 weeks to start deadlifting or doing things like that. Like it is totally okay to load structures and that's the way we should be doing it. You know, there's not a lot of stuff in the literature about upper extremities. So, you know, T and Robbie, w- what do you feel about this? Like, how do you load your upper extremities after surgery? Cause I think it's just as important.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think just you take UCL re- or reconstruction, which is something we see a lot <clears throat> It's pure ligament reconstruction. So they're loaded after seven days, right? So they're in a posterior splint for seven days, around 45, 60 degrees. Come out of the splinter, They're putting a hinge brace, and they have a range of motion. The brace is unlocked for. So once you start ranging your elbow through that range of motion, you're loading your tissue, and I think that's important, because you have this new construct that's trying to turn into a ligament, and we need to help direct the orientation of the collagen right as they're starting to lay down. So. Every week or two weeks, we unlock the brace, which allows you to go through more range of motion. We know beyond fifty degrees is going to put a little more strain on the posterior part of the anterior bundle, so um, we restrict a little bit of flexion early on. But you're still moving your elbow. So early on, for the first four to five weeks, you're doing range of motion and loading, um, you know, exercises. And then when the brace comes off, um, we'll start an isometric uh, internal rotation um, progression where we're starting to generally gently progress the valgus strain through that uh, medial portion of the Mm -hmm. elbow. And we used to just do a very subjective progression, but now using some of the handheld dynamometers and the force frame, we can uh, very objectively progress load through your elbow. And granted, you know, with that internal rotation, of course, we're going to get some contractions of your internal rotators, but it is... Reducing some valgus strain into the graft, so every week you might go up five to ten percent um, stress on the force ring progression for a certain amount of time, and it's very very easy to objectify. So um, I'd say over the last couple of years is what we've been doing for some of the upper extremity and the ligaments, um, and then I mean, sure you could apply this to shoulders. We see a lot of rotator cuff repairs uh, or distal bicep repairs as well. Uh, I mean, Robin, what do you do for? What do you do for your shoulders, Robbie, to load them?
5: So I I think kind of to go off what you were saying for the elbow, I mean, I think the cuffs a little bit a little stickier. I think, you know, a lot of times this surgery is like that, you know, the doctor's baby. And obviously they don't want that that tendon to fail, you know, by any any means. So they're a little bit more particular about how we load it. So I I know, you know, we typically will start a little bit of a, you know, very submaximal isometric um, progression starting around six weeks with these cuffs. You know, there's other doctors out there that won't let you load it at all for twelve weeks. So I think it's it's a little bit more variable. Um I think with any tendon, if we're starting with a very sub-maximal load, obviously we need to, I think we should start that pretty early on. Um, but it's it's a little, you know, I think kind of stickier with the cuffs. Do you, do you agree
2: on that? Yeah, but I mean rotator cuffs, <clears throat> so when stitches come out, you know, a lot of our patients do very passive exercise. And I know we have this argument about like early rehab, late rehab. My big thing is just don't do aggressive stuff early. Like yeah. get away from the aggressive stuff early. Let it heal. That doesn't mean you can't move. I think it's important to move, but you've got to move passively and you have to know how to do that. So I think some very gentle passive, or I mean, probably not even passive, active assisted motion in a certain window is fine. And I think that might help promote some healing. But yeah, I mean, you've got to let the cuff heal, of course. Um, so yeah, I mean, very passive exercise. And I think that's the progression, right? Passive to active assisted to active, um, exercise to help lay down that college. If you don't move for eight weeks, I mean, you know what they look like. Why do you think people are stiff if they're home for eight weeks and do nothing, come in with this and get the sling off. So some of our docs are four weeks for the cuff and sling off. Um, but same principle. I mean, we're loading them and then we go through an isometric progression, um, you know, as well for those rotator cuffs. I think, uh, you know, some of those, like the eccentrics are important because it's, uh, you know, t- so my big thing with the ligaments is that I want like constant isometric stress, right? So ligaments are holding bone to bone together. So I'm more concerned with longer isometric holds. I want that to be as stiff as possible to Billy's point before tendons, a little different where you want it to be stiff at the bone, but you don't want it to be as stiff <clears throat> at the muscle tendon junction. Right, Billy? Yep. So how do you, Billy, how would you say a distal bicep repair? Right. So we want the the tendon at the bone to be stiff, but we want to try and improve um some of the uh tendon muscle interface. So what exercise do you think would be best for like a distal bicep repair? What would you do for that to try and improve tendon health?
1: Asking me a shoulder question.
2: It's an elbow actually. <laughs> distal bicep it's elbow <laughs> oh, distal, distal. All right. Now no, right, it's yeah. easy. I think it's an
1: elbow Bill. <laughs> No, I mean, uh, anything eventually that that adds a little eccentric kind of force through it. So, so lengthening contractions, um, adding sarcomeres in series and just establishing length of the muscle tendon junction too. It doesn't yeah. have to be just eccentric bicep curls, but rows and things like that right. where you're kind of controlling eccentric elbow.
2: Or even flexion. heavy concentric, or even like heavy yeah. slow concentrics, right? So I think that's same with like hamstring repair, same for like quad tendon repair. Like my thought process is I'm rehabbing some of like the, the tendon repairs versus a ligament repairs. I want to make sure that they can move through that range of motion with good control and just really go slow, right? For your, your point, cross links, sarcomere, so for all that, uh, versus a ligament repair where I need to make sure that they can hold that one Mm -hmm. point in time. So I, my thought process, I don't know, probably not supported by research, but, um, you know, my elbows, I know. In the 90-90 position, that transition phase, they need to be very, very, they need to have a very, very stiff ligament because that's where the ligament is taking the stress. I will get them in 90-90 and I mean, Robbie, we do this all the time, but we'll have, we'll set them there and we will go high force on the force rate dynamometers or with exercise isometrics to make sure we can get that tissue as stiff as possible in that position. Whereas a bicep tendon or a hamstring or for you guys or a quad tendon, they need to be able to you know, get stiff and absorb force through that muscle tendon complex. So I need to make sure that we're doing, in my mind, no, you know, ev- either like a really heavy, slow eccentric or slow concentric so that muscle is pulling on the tendon at the attachment site, but also going through length and then slowly contracting. Um, so that obviously that's more like an end phase for me, but I want to make sure that we get both of those um, parameters done. Um, and then, you know, something we talked about recently is, you know, my my thought process changes with like some of these throwing programs where, you know, if the theory is if you don't load tissue, it starts to uh, disappear, right? So we start to lose some tissue. There's turnover in collagen. so my question is like if we tell throwers not to go out and throw in the offseason, um, you know, what's happening when they come back and they start a throwing program after two months of not throwing? Like is what's their tissue look like at that point? Are we putting them in a, in a worse position? Because... They just did not put any stress through this ligament for two months. And now we're going to tell them, hey, let's ramp up a throwing program, see how you feel. Like, where, where do we even stand on that? Robbie, like, what do you think? Like, do we, do we still tell these guys shut down for two months, come back where your collagen is in a, in a worse spot and now let's ramp up into a season?
5: No, I, I'm with you. I, I I don't even think we've talked about that lately, but I think that's something that I've, you know, I've been hearing this for the last couple of years from a lot of like the strength coaches and these baseball guys out there. They've been saying, you know, we need to keep throwing. Um, and I've always been in, in the camp of like time off, don't throw, don't do anything a month or two, you know, but I, I'm with you. I think if we don't put that stress on, on those ligaments, they're going to, you know, they're not going to be as strong as they were. And then they start ramping up and everything. And they get hurt, in, you know, in the in the spring training or in the early season. So I thought process has changed completely as well. But, you know, with that, I think it's it's also important. We know it's not, you know, you're not max pitching that entire time, but there needs to be some sort of stress, some sort of load, uh, you know, consistently. He's, yeah, t- he's
3: just trying to justify making Braden play twelve months a year. He's just trying to. <laughs> yeah, 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 let's just no, support. I why he's. So we're not going to go down this gonna road. We're not going to go down this road
2: right now. We'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll keep it on topic. However, <laughs> just one to make point. You feel better. For like for the for the seven to nine seven to nine year olds, I think you need time off. Right, bone is not no, fused I'm yet. So for those guys, I definitely think you need time off. So <laughs> well, that's
4: why they're going to get hurt. They may, then, maybe
2: though. a little bit of time off, but we'll see. But for the, old, for the older kids, like after 12 years old, I do think that you need, you probably need to be thrown in the off season, And it's a light intensity. So it's light, not light. heavy. Yeah.
3: It's
5: not light. Pitching. You're not throwing
2: bullpens. Yeah. Right. You're not, of course, doing running guns and pull downs, but you need some sort of stress going through that tissue so that when you start to ramp up, there's a base set and that the tissue has seen stress. So, I mean, that's, we'll definitely go back, maybe a whole nother podcast. I uh, think, uh, I think it was a, Jamie. Um, so, question for Jamie. <laughs> yeah um yeah so how Jamie, during your performance sessions how would you build out like a load progression for like an end stage rehab um like how do you incorporate some of the higher velocity stuff into your you know when you're trying to build some of these athletes up from a load perspective
4: well yeah i think that's a a great question right because i feel like we've just been talking about doing long duration low you know long holds but when do you guys really start transitioning some velocity right so We can't have them going from long duration, long holds from their rehab progression and then go straight into like plyometric based things, right? There's got to be some intermediate, right? So I think some of the strength progressions need to create some speed. I think some tempos need to go a little bit quicker at first. Um, I'm definitely in the camp though of like long, slow eccentrics and then, you know, some isometrics at the bottom of the position so that we really solidify strength in those like lower positions so we can get some explosiveness and contractile tissue from those positions. You know, I definitely like like the French contrast method and those sort of things to try to, you know, in, introduce some um, he- heavy loading followed by some, you know, plyometric and explosive stuff. But, you know, I think that's the question that I was trying to you know, get in here to ask you guys, like, when do you guys start incorporating some more speed, like not just go from long duration isometric holds, but and go straight to plyometrics. But where's the intermediate? Where where do you guys start doing things that are just a little bit quicker? And what does that sort of look like in, you know, before you transition to me? Because in theory, right, I mean, most of the people, when they get to me, they should be feeling, you know, pretty good to go at that point to try to, you know, almost release to like full activity, right? So it kind of gives me the green light to, you know, progress things maybe a little bit quicker or get them into those more higher velocity things. So I'm just wondering when do you guys start to incorporate a little bit more speed through, say, those like, you know, aggravated, you know, patella tendon grafts that, you know, maybe now we're starting to feel a little bit better. So,
0: what what does that look like for uh, for you guys? I mean, with with me, it's it's it comes down to a strength issue. I, I need to see that you have optimal strength first before I start moving into any of those velocity based programs. So, you'll you, I I don't think you know I, I me and Pat have worked together. I think it's like ten years now. But you know, you don't see us throwing the throwing a patient out there with a med ball or something out there during one of our treatment sessions. Most of our treatment sessions are based on a lot of Strength to make sure that tissue can hold that. I wait for higher velocity movements. Uh, you know when they're ready for that. That's when I typically send to you, Jamie. I've put them through a, a beginning plyo program to make sure that they can get that stress through those lower extremities and that they can they can hold that. And then after that, I am like, listen, it's time to go to the next level and really work on some of these moves for you. So I wait for you guys to incorporate some of those higher velocity med ball throws, total body, like, you know, sling progressions and things like that. But for me, it comes down to strength. If, if the person is not strong enough uh, and they have symptoms, if you're getting patellar tendon symptoms after a, a graft, in my mind, I've clearly overloaded you too early or I'm underloading you so you can't take that pressure through that tendon. So, you know, for me, it comes down, down to that before they start to do any sort of velocity-based stuff. Yeah, like we just
2: had a, um, do you want to go? I think for upper extremity, it's, it's a progression also, right? So it's part of the post-op progression where early on, or, or just typical injury progression early on, it might be doing some isometrics. That's all you can tolerate. And that's where I'll build some of that foundation, build some of that stress, and we'll gradually move you up into more isotonics, and then we'll get you moving a little faster, some speed and tempo work and you feel good with that, you prove to me that your tissue can handle that controlled stress, then we'll move you to some more plyometric exercise where it's a different kind of stress. And I might still continue with some of your isometric loading at that point, but now you got to prove to me you can do your plyos and you can do your plyos appropriately and they look good and they feel good and then go through some sort of testing and then we'll move you to a performance model afterwards. So I think for all of my rehabs, it's more of a progression of stress to the tissue each step I'll add another variable prove to me you can tolerate that you respond. Well, we move to the next step, tolerate that. Well, a little increased speed, a little more, a little more, Get to plyos. And at that point, you know, we could press progress them like to, to more of a performance model and, and hand them off to you guys and let you just, you know, start ripping them.
4: Hitting it ripping hard. Them. Yeah. But, well, you know, ripping so them. in uh, Gun, like just and recently grip, we had, um, we had a, uh, you know, a evaluation and you know, the patala tenant was incredibly flared up and it, the the movement around the pain though is i think what you've really got to keep your eye on because the way that she was squatting you'd think that there, you know a loss of like ankle mobility or something like that and not necessarily the case at all but it's just that completely avoiding you know pain and obviously it doesn't hurt when you avoid it right so the feedback you get is like oh no my knee feels okay i just squat like this but maybe maybe you aren't supposed to be squatting that way maybe mm-hmm. you do have pain that you've just been yeah. avoiding for six months
2: Cool. And the last thing I'm going to leave you guys with is, uh, I think Keith Barrs also talked about it, some nutritional supplements <clears> where there was some evidence that taking gelatin actually improved oh. collagen health in tissue. But we'll talk about this. Maybe we get a nutrition. I was going to bring my right bag. Yet, yeah. I have I'll my, talk to you. I can talk to you. You it. the bovine? Like don't get Jamie started on yeah. this. It. So I've got, got my bag of gelatin. I was yeah. going right. to bring it We, we went to the hot seat. Jamie, Jamie, we're going to shut your mic off. We'll oh, send God. you back to the other room that you were in before. Yeah. All right. Hot seat. Robbie, you first. Oh, oh, this is a good podcast, actually. I like this. 7 a.m., oh but the coffee's starting to kick in. Yeah, Saints I'm with you. Now. Yeah, yeah. yeah just so, to fire. <laughs> We're all talking now. Man, we should extend this thing. Maybe Everybody's make this speaking. A all right, fine. Make it, make it uh, Robbie, so if you had to survive on a deserted island, you could bring one thing with you, one object, what would it oh. be? <sighs> Couldn't be another human.
5: Couldn't be another human. Just, it no, would no. be... Uh, if I have to survive...
4: Dad, gonna, one thing, about. bro. Okay. Pixel, he's
2: dead. 30, 30, 30 pack of Miller Lite, like box of cigars. That's what are you bring.
5: No, I'm gonna bring a spear. I gotta live. Oh. I'm spear, you know, a yeah. spear. <laughs> How are you gonna Snape. kill something?
0: <laughs>
2: All right, Snape, If you could have Snae, if you could have one superpower, what would it be?
0: Oh, flying. I would fly. And that's actually pretty good Yeah yeah, yeah. That's that's. I'm already <laughs> strong So I don't need to
2: do Pat, that Pat If your uh, computer Could talk about your search history What would it say? <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go back to the uh, Let's go back
3: to the island Robbie You should bring
2: <laughs> <laughs> You should
3: You can always make a spear dude You gotta bring a piece of like Flint You gotta start fire bro you, What's what's uh, Flint Why Pat, don't
2: you Bring a gun Bring a gun Pat rocks. also Whipped Pat which, Whipped out his switchblade At the <laughs> holiday party To open up a, To <laughs> yeah. cut a piece of tape hey, so. Always <laughs> Alright <clears throat> Jamie, if you yeah. could uh, if your GPS could have any celebrity voice, what would it be?
4: Oh, t- uh, Tiger Woods.
2: Jim <laughs> Nance. <laughs> yeah,
4: Jim Nance. Oh, with good. the Augusta noise in the back. <laughs> good question. Yeah, uh, with the birds. And area. Billy,
2: Billy, what's your go-to wedding move? What if I see you on the oh. dance floor, what are we doing, Billy? I'm no, not gonna go immediately.
1: I know this it? for Billy. Oh man, it's gotta be the uh... <laughs> The string, you know, legs fall apart. <laughs> string from the shirt pulls you back up. I think that's it. The audio that's, probably won't do that's it job. Uh, that's that's best, best uh, best yeah, that, that is
0: your classic. That is your classic move, right? I here. think it is. Uh, that's your classic. Oh hell yeah! I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a like couple move, but not a. Woman. Listen, everybody, thanks for thanks for listening again. Season two, we got a lot of stuff coming up for you, so just stay tuned for what we got. Thank hey, you. Hey, they also. Listening. Remember,
2: uh, we didn't mention uh, we have a Brooklyn Nets, so first NBA oh, fellowship yeah. start oh, yeah. starting at HSS that you started as in your, the director. So uh, Brooklyn Nets and HSS has teamed up, and we're trying to train physical therapists to enter the world of basketball. So I think it's a great opportunity for any of our listeners. If you're PT, ATC uh, certified, uh, we'll have all the, all the information in the show notes, but uh, you can reach out to Snay, and it should be an awesome opportunity.
0: Yeah, yeah. Remember PTATC. Sorry, we need that dual <clears throat> credentialing for this this fellowship. So it's six months with us, six months with the team. Good time. So if anybody's interested or you know anybody interested, please just uh, reach out to us. Uh, but also thanks for listening. Remember, like and subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Sports Rehab Lab podcast. Please like and subscribe on both Spotify and Apple. And if you can, leave us up to a five-star review as well. We would greatly appreciate that. If you have questions for us or comments about the podcast or guests you'd like us to consider, DM us on our Instagram page at, at @sportsrehablab. Rehab Lab. We read all of our comments so your messages are always being heard. The Sports Rehab Lab podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of physical therapy, medicine, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor patient relationship is formed. The views, opinions, and approaches expressed in this podcast by our hosts, guests, and contributors do not represent those of their respective employers, affiliated institutions, or organizations. We encourage our listeners to use their discretion and consider multiple sources of information when making decisions regarding sports medicine, fitness, or health. Listeners should consult with their medical providers prior to taking any action based on information shared on this podcast. The materials linked to this podcast are at the user's own risk, and the content on this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to establishing a standard of care, diagnosis, or treatment. Listeners should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice from any medical condition they have. They should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. In no way does reading, listening, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish any kind of doctor-patient relationship.